Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto, here with you on Tuesday, February 21st, as the tennis world chugs along. Indian Wells in Miami, a big checkpoint approaching in a couple weeks, but right now we've got tennis underway. Various locations across the globe, such as Rio, Marseille, Dubai, and we're here this week to talk about what went down last week and also a little bit of the week before. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, is going to join me for a conversation about some of the amazing stuff we saw on tour last week. Iga Swiatek just dominating Doha. Played only three matches, but dropped only five games on route to her 12th career title. Also a big title for Daniel Medvedev in Rotterdam, defeating Yannick Sinner in an exciting final. And Carlos Alcaraz makes his return at Buenos Aires, winning the Argentina Open, his first title of 2023. He's back and looking strong and ready to make a push for number one, perhaps. We'll talk about it all with Richard Pagliaro. That interview is up next. See you on the other side. Hey, Richard, how you doing today? Great to speak with you, Chris, and uh, we've had an exciting week and, uh, you know, big march to look forward to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Indian Wells coming around the corner, but right now we're busy with um, lots of good tennis in the Middle East and in Europe and in America. It's kind of spread out everywhere right now, but I think the first topic, first and foremost, is the performance of Vigas Fiatek last week in uh, Doha, which was pretty crazy. Five games dropped in the tournament. Through only three matches, there's a little asterisk behind her performance, which is the least games dropped in an open in the open era in a WTA tournament for a champion. Remarkable whether there's an asterisk or not, the performance of Iga Swiatek. She's starting to defend that 37-match winning streak, and she's doing it uh, pretty well so far. You were watching her play Leila Fernandez today, correct? Yeah, she looked phenomenal today, and and she did in Doha, so she continued it through. And I think we spoke after Australia, like that was a question, how is she going to bounce back from that loss? And then going into this stretch, the 37-match win, where she has all these points, you know, thousands of ranking points, and boy, she's really, really made a resounding statement, like you said, in losing five games. And then avenging the loss to Pagula, you know, in Australia, where she got real emotional and she was crying to come back and have deliver that kind of composed and commanding final. And her record in final is phenomenal. I mean, she gets the final. She doesn't lose finals. That's another great thing about her. But when I'm watching her now and even today with the Layla match, because Layla Fernandez played well. She had good shots. It's just, he always had the answer. It reminds me of a, like a Steffi Graf type run where it's not just that she's going to win. It's how comprehensively. And, you know, she only lost two games today. I mean, it's just... It's just commanding. She's just all over you. So I'm excited for the next round because she plays Ludmilla Samsonova. And Samsonova took her to 7-5 in the third uh, last spring. I realized, Stuka, I realized it's clay and it's a hard court. But Samsonova's played really well, you know, since last year. She's been on a roll. She hits big. She has the bigger sort of flatter forehand that can cause problems. So I'm excited to see that. But if Iga goes through her as uh, she has these other opponents, I mean, watch out. Who can stop her? Yeah, I mean, we sort of were speaking after Australia about the aura of invincibility for Iga being chipped away ever so slightly. And here she is building it right back right now, which leads me to my next question. Arena Sabalenka has gone on record saying that number one ranking is her top priority. She's currently 4,800 points behind Iga. 
She's the clear number two on tour right now, maybe with Rybakina, the number three. And, you know, not, that's not according to rankings, but maybe the way we see it is in terms of how slams will pan out. But what do you think about Sabalenka's statement? And what do you think about her actual chances of maybe, if not getting to number one, closing the gap and, and making it so there is an actual race at some point in the future? Well, first, I, I like the statement. I like hearing that because it's always about how do I lessen the pressure or, you know, i got to play my game. It's always about trying to eliminate or reduce, minimize pressure. And here's someone coming off a maiden major that isn't satisfied with that, that's telling you publicly I have higher aspirations and the only, you know, higher spot she can go is number one in the world. So, look, she's capable of doing it. I mean, she's definitely not, hasn't been as consistent as Ega across all surfaces, but the flip side is, you know, if she's allowed to play Wimbledon this year, she, she is a former Wimbledon semifinalist, and I would argue her game is better on grass than Ega, so I would argue she could be more dangerous in that stretch, but I think these next this stretch, let's say they were to play in Dubai in the final, which could happen, that to tell you a lot, and then, you know, Obviously, Indian Wells, Miami will tell you realistically where she's at. But, yeah, points-wise, if she was able to play Wimbledon and put up a good Wimbledon, I think she has a better shot at Wimbledon. But Ega, obviously, is better on clay and, is, you know, reigning Roland Garros champion. So there's a lot of tennis. It's too premature to sort of predict now. But, yeah, she definitely has a shot, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess you, the the way to approach it would just be to chip away at the stone ever so slightly. You're right about the 2,000 points at Wimbledon. That's a good point. And also, everything that Iga doesn't defend over these next three months, where she, she won, I think, six titles during her 37-match winning streak, will be maybe a p chance for Sabalenka to pick up. She can even pick up points in the clay swing, is what I'm saying, which is... It doesn't seem, you know, nor, if they went at it, if you're talking about points earned, it would be different. But the fact that Iga basically has everything to defend, it's going to be tricky. And I think Sabalenka, Sabalenka has some points to make up in Madrid where she lost first round. Although she did have a pretty decent clay season, final in Stuttgart, semifinal in Rome, third round at Roland Garros. But there'll be some opportunities, particularly at Roland Garros and at Madrid, for her to close the gap a little bit. But I, again, I agree with you. I like what she's talking about. She believes that it's a long-term proposition. She wants to be the number one player in the world at some point. She wants to continue evolving and improving in that way. And that's why you and I both love this statement and both love what we've seen from this player this season. Sabalenka also dominant. Uh, today in Dubai, reaching the second round. And, you know, next week we could be back on this podcast talking about a great final between those two. And wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, and let's not forget, like a year ago, she was still being considered a bit of a head case who had this unruly serve. You didn't know if you were going to get 10 aces or 20 double faults. And, the, you know, she was volatile and all that. And then she's changed that completely to, look, she's a big match player. She won one of the best you know, women's finals, major finals we've seen in a while. That was a really gutsy and gritty effort, and she showed you she can do it from all areas of the court. I think the flip side is that Iga's strength is, you know, Iga's such a great mover, and she's so great athletically And watching her today. And in Doha, when you see she does the sliding splits, like Kleisters used to do, like Novak does, and she spins right out of that, right out of the corner, gets right back to the side of the court. What I'm saying is Iga, to me, is a, is a better defender and always will be, and she's probably the best athlete, the best pure athlete on the tour. So she can drop back and defend if things aren't going right, where Sabalenka's going to live and die with the aggressive baseline. Again, there's going to be days where she's just a little bit off. So I think Iga's maybe her 
her sort of baseline of play is more suited to a consistent sort of sustained level. But Sabalenka, her highs are going to be really, really high because when she's on board, she can just blow through anybody. Yeah, interesting stuff. All good points. We we have a lot to cover. So let's. I mean, and we're trying to go back to last week to look at some some storylines that have developed. I think we can go to Rotterdam quickly and and look at the performance of Daniil Medvedev. Sort of a return week from him, wouldn't you say? F- finally snapping that uh, losing streak against the top ten, which was really strange to see Medvedev losing nine consecutive matches against the top ten. Well, he took care of that business, beating defending champion Felix Oje Aliassime, and then goes on to win. In, in very fantastic fashion against Yannick Sinner in the final. A real step-up performance from Daniil Medvedev, and that makes me believe that he may become a big part of the equation. You know, you have Novak Djokovic at the top of the table in the men's game in 2023, but you've also now got Medvedev, who we didn't consider because he's just been struggling a little bit, finding it difficult to notch big wins. Maybe this is the... A sign that he's gonna make his way back to the top five and become a real force again. Let's not forget this guy's got a major title and he's got four Grand Slam finals to his name. It shows you how confidence at their level is just so crucial to success. Because to me, when you look at what he did in Rotterdam, as he he became Dan Medvedev again, the guy that we always saw and the guy that such a threat on her. That was his 16th career, 15 of them on hard court. So the surface, that particular surface is great for him because it's a low bouncing court and he hits flat and hard and through the court. And But like you said, he beat some really good guys. I know he's dominated Felix in the past, but Felix almost beat him in Australia last year. Felix had a match point on him. Felix could have won that match. So to come out and Felix is defending champion and just thrash Felix. I mean, he just took the, to Felix and he was holding convincingly. That was big. And then the center... The final look, Sinner did some different things. He was coming in on him. He was volleying well at the first set. Sinner played a great first set and made him play from behind. But once he got even, boy, he just put the put the put his foot down and just crushed it. So yeah, he looked great, and it's great to see him back. You know, you know, being like you said, he, to see him lose nine in a row to tie, it's just uh, so unlike him. But the interesting thing about Rotterdam for me is the first. Match the first set he lost to Davidovich Vakina and he was looking a little bit ornery and a little bit like wow this could really sort of spiral snowball on him emotionally he was looking a little bit cranky but he turned that match around and then he just sort of never looked back and it was a really good final Sinner played well and to me the interesting thing about the final is Sinner showed you flashes of how he has to play against these guys he's got to use his volley, his ability to move. He's a better mover, especially forward. He's got to play some more angles. You can't just power through a Medvedev. But he showed you that potentially he could do that, that the potential is there, whereas Medvedev, it's the total opposite. He's got to be Medvedev, you know, just lock down from behind the baseline and just get everything back, hold serve quickly and do what he always does. And so it was interesting to me in that respect. Yeah, real real quick, Richard, what do you think was the difference between Medvedev this week and you mentioned confidence, but between Medvedev this week and really what we've seen in the past six months where he struggled to win matches, is it just a, a real subtle and nuanced version of himself? Did he did he just execute a little better? Was there something he did that he hasn't been doing? I mean, without really looking at the stats and just going by what I saw, I felt he put the break points more like lockdown where he didn't try to do anything crazy or anything that he just blocked. Some of those points, they had long rallies, and he just basically said, I'm not going to miss. But he also served well as he got momentum in these matches, as he got into the matches. 
Yeah. I felt like he was holding serve pretty convincingly. And those guys are good return. I mean, Sinner's a long guy. He's got long arms. He puts a lot of return. He's dangerous on the stretch. And I thought he served well when he had to. And as the, as the matches progressed, I felt he got in the groove on the serve. And he can hold serve so fast. It's demoralizing because you look up and you're like, God, I'm down a game again. He just held serve in 50 seconds. So I felt it was the serve basically on the big points. And also that he was willing to sort of grind out those one point, and you can only do that when you have confidence you're going to make the shots. Okay, and and quickly on Sinner, because I think it's worth a mention, just 2-16 and 16 against the top five, but he did beat Tsitsipas in, in Rotterdam in the round of 16. That was a real nice win, and I think at 21 years of age, you look at all the things that Yannick has done fairly recently with the performances at the Grand Slam. I think he got quarterfinals last two slams, had a match point against Carlos Alcaraz, which really could have been a turning point for him, and also had a two-sets-to-love lead against Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. In the, I think that was a quarterfinal. It seems like he's really on the path here to something bigger. I mean, yes, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yes, he's still feeling his way in some aspects, beating the top five consistently perhaps and um, winning some of these bigger matches, but he's putting himself in, in the positions to have these opportunities. And it seems like everything is going in the right direction for Sinner, despite the loss in the final. Yeah. Like you said, he's only 21. He's a baby. I mean, we forget how young he is. And what I saw from him in Rotterdam was he was using the athleticism more all over the court. Like he defended really well and some you know and he's not a defensive player that's not his style but when he was stretched I mean he gets to a lot of balls he's really really quick his legs look stronger to me like more defined when he got to the Miami final a few years ago it was like a racehorse with these real spindly legs and now he looks like he's put on sort of his leg strength is, is yeah. more enhanced and also the coming forward he played great at the net the first set he's got a great overhead he doesn't miss overheads and it just his willingness to come forward to me is a direct result of the work he's been doing with Cahill over the last year I got to watch him practice at Wimbledon a few times and he also practices with the top guys like Djokovic and he's always practicing with the best guys that's got to yeah. help but he really works a lot on the volley, if you ever watch him practice, I'm moving forward, the volley, and he, the way he practices the smash, he's got a great smash, and he practices it a lot. So I think that's all good. It's just I think Kano realizes this kid's a really, really good athlete, and we all think of him as this power ground for which he'll always be. But if I can, you know, get his uh, get get the depth out of his athleticism and get him moving forward at times, just at critical times or getting him to use everything he has. I mean, this, he's just got so much more potential. So I was encouraged, but like you said, he's got to start doing it against these top guys in the big matches, but he's slowly, slowly getting there and he's not losing the same way. That's the encouraging thing. If you're going to lose, at least lose a different way. And he did that this time. He showed you different things. Yep. Yep. Very good point. And I think, um, Oh, and five against Medvedev. That's another one he'll want to shore up. But he's, you know, he's had close matches with him. And I think I felt like he took a step in this match. But, you know, again, two and two and sets two and three. So definitely back to the drawing board for Yannick Sinner. We switch now. We go to we go to South of South America, where in Argentina, we saw the return of Carlitos Alcaraz. I won't say that he breezed to this title. He did drop a set in his first match against Laszlo Jerry. Um, but he did a pretty – He had, it was a pretty emphatic return to the tour, defeating Cameron Norrie, who we know how tough of an out he is, even on the red clay. So he he basically lost one of his er, – uh, set in his first match, but then won out and was really dominant and really showed us, I think, all the electric 
style of game that he plays. We saw the drop shots. We saw that jaw-dropping forehand. We saw the movement. We saw the passion, and we saw the Argentinian crowd getting behind him. It was kind of a beautiful scene to see Carlos Alcaraz finally return to the tour, wasn't it? It was awesome. Like I was, I was so pumped up to see him that I was almost thinking in the back of my mind, like, man, it's going to be a little bit of a let. And like you said, he lost that set the first match. And I was like, but uh, yeah, it was awesome. He gave you what you wanted to see. He gave you the drop shots. He gave you some great running forehands, the passion, the energy, and the desire. He was so happy to be out there, and the crowds were going crazy for him and to see my childhood crush, Gabriel Sabatini, there every match he played, I believe, there was a huge thing. And just how the crowd. The other thing I love about this kid is that it's not just the tennis. He gives you a performance. Like the, the tournament tweeted out at one point between – points how he spins his racket he's like juggling the racket and the crowd was getting into that like he's trying to get to a moment or a memorable reason why you came to this match and you saw something special not just a match you saw something more so i love that about him it's almost a performance that he goes out there and he really wants to engage the crowd and they gave him the uh the support and the love in the final there's some good points but man when he got on the nori back end he just felt like there's no answer on the back i mean and nori likes to take it early on that slide but he pounded the ball so uh it was impressive and i was really great it was great to see how excited he was and how electric the crowd was to see him back so it left me thinking if we could really have a deep debate on what is this guy's best service ultimately going to be, you know, you could, you could say hard, you could say clay, you could even maybe say grass down the road. You just don't know. Yeah. That's the subject I was just about to hit. I was dialing up a stat 43 and 11 now lifetime on clay with five titles, 47 and 18 on hard with two titles, four and two on grass. That's a work in progress as it is for most young players. But I mean, he's not Rafael Nadal. He's not going to be the king of clay, but it feels to me like on clay, there's a level, there's something about Alcaraz that makes it really, really tough for other players to contend with. Maybe where they have a shot against him on the hard, there's something he's doing on clay. Maybe it's just that he's a better all-around mover on the surface and is so comfortable with it, but definitely something to watch how well he's playing on clay and how his 796 winning percentage is higher than his 723 winning percentage on hard so right now the jury's still out but it looks like he might be just a tad more difficult to beat on the clay than he is on the hard courts yeah well two things you said there i agree with totally i think number one is the movement it's if he wants to just lock down and defend which he doesn't always do but if he wants to He's just so fast. It's just so hard to get a – he's got to be one of the top two, three thousand guys in the, in the game. He's incredibly fast. And also, I think on clay, the drop shot is even a more pronounced, a bigger weapon because he can just pummel you where he pushes you back with the forehand back, you know, back near the back wall, and then he, you know, he can drop it so short in the court. Just those relentless sprints where he's jerking you back and forth. I mean, he could take your legs out pretty – pretty big and let's not forget he has a clay court win over Novak in Madrid I mean he's played great on class so it's it's really hard to say but I also like the fact that it it the clay gives him time to develop the point and really show you some acute angles and show you some weird he'll hit the slice forehand sometimes just show you something you wouldn't normally see on other surfaces because things happen so so quickly on hardcore, and just one last thing about that, I got to interview him in, in a Babylon event right before the Open, and I asked him, you know, what surface, what court are you best on? And he said the tennis court. 
<laughs> that he said. That's a great answer. <laughs> That's a great answer. That's funny. All right. Well, quickly, South America, Dominic team continues to struggle. What's it going to take for team to find his way back? Um, he won a match in Argentina, but then was quickly dispatched there, and he just lost yesterday to Tiago Montero in Rio. Very disappointing for him at a tournament where he's a former champion, although it was, I think, 2017 when he won Rio. He just continues to struggle. Is something missing? Is he is he afraid to really air out the game? He doesn't seem like the same physical Tasmanian devil spinning that forehand at an unheard of rates like he used to in the past. Yeah, it's hard for me to say because I haven't seen all of the losses. I've seen parts of them, but I haven't seen the entire matches. But I, to me, the forehand isn't is not as ferocious as it once was. I'm not sure if that's related to the wrist, if there is something physical that he physically had to change it. It just doesn't seem like he can finish. What he used to do is spread you with the diagonal, the inside-out forehand, pull you way wide in the doubles alley, and then boom, he could step around and take the inside and the forehand down the line, and you just can't cover that space. It's just too wide. I don't see that as much from him now as I see a guy who's you know hitting forehands and he's getting some depth sometimes and not other times, but he's not able to finish as ferociously, as forcefully as he was. And look, the physicality thing, I think it's a really good point. Like, they didn't want to battle this guy in a long match, and now it seems like these guys are not intimidated by playing 20, 30 ball rallies against him. So then the question becomes, where do you go from there? Do you try to come in and use the net a little more? Do you try to use your slice and bring the other guy in? Like, how do you, because you just can't play that style, or at least to this point, that style hasn't got you the same results it did you know, prior to the, these wrist woes. So it, it's tough to say. Yeah. doesn't seem to have any confidence either, and that's not helping. Um, let's, right. let's hope better better things are on the way. We know he's got a wild card into Indian Wells. I mean, the sooner we see the old Dominic team back, the better uh, the tour will be for sure. We move on, though, because there's, there's still more to cover. Rankings news, Novak Djokovic, world number one, hits week number 377. He's now tied with Steffi Graf on the all-time list for weeks at number one. He'll pass her guaranteed next week because even if he's tied with Alcaraz he gets uh, he'll still stay at number 1 by default. So next week Novak Djokovic is going to hold 375 weeks at number 1 more than any other player in tennis history. Just another record, just another page of the record book that the great Novak Djokovic has rewritten. What do you think is next for Novak? Um we going to see him at Indian Wells? Well, I think I, I think that he's supposed to give a press conference tomorrow in Serbia, I believe. He's been in Serbia from what I've been following him on social media. He's, I think he's been training there. And so hopefully that press conference tomorrow will let us know more about whether he will be actually admitted for Indian Wells in Miami. I've seen Tommy Haas quoted several times that they're really hopeful he will get in, but I don't. From what I understand, the law is until unless they unless they make an exemption until May 11th, he's not allowed in, and then after May 11th, he would be allowed in. But I guess we'll know more after that presser. But phenomenal record, I to me, it's this year is going to be uh, about him trying to you know break Rafa's record and take sole possession when it's 23rd. And I think really the Margaret Court record is the record now that he's shooting for because he has just about every other record. That's amazing. You know, every other meaning record. And I think in addition to the weeks at number one, I think people sometimes don't give him as much credit for the year and number one finishes that he broke Sampras's record. That, that was a really iconic record uh, you know, for him to do it seven times, year and number one, in the yeah. era that he did it in, 
with two of the other most, it's not just tennis players, greatest athletes we've ever seen in this generation. It's just phenomenal. And people always break it down to, well, who's got more majors? But that year end and the weeks at number one, that just shows you what a dominant player this guy was to be at the top that long with everybody coming at you and you're still there. Incredible. Yeah, amazing. And, and, you know, Indian Wells and Miami are important simply because Djokovic didn't play last year. He's, he'd get some points to add to his ranking. And, you know, he's in a race with Alcaraz right now for number one, so those points will matter just as the ones at Wimbledon will matter later in the year. It would be nice for him to get, get a shot at those points. So great story, remarkable achievement. I think 400 weeks is definitely realistic, and that's just another Another amazing record for Novak, 22-time Grand Slam champion, tied with Rafa. God, Roland Garros is going to be amazing. Um, Moving on, another rankings bit of information. Taylor Fritz is going to crack the top five next week, and that's huge for American tennis fans. It's been, I think, since 2009, since an American man has been in the top five. Fritz is going to get there on the strength of uh, Rafa and Rublev, each dropping 500 points this week. Full credit to Taylor Fritz, took the title in Delray Beach, has been playing great tennis for, for a year plus now, and so well-deserved achievement when he gets it next week. What do you think about Taylor and, uh, and that achievement? You know, I know people say, well, it's a 250, but that was a really, really deep 250. Tommy Paul was there. Tommy Paul was coming off the Australian Open. So, I mean, they had some real – you know, Sheldon was there. He was coming off the uh, great AO run. So that was a deep field, and I was impressed because – you know, he blew that opportunity in the second set of the final and close out the final. I believe he is the highest-ranked Delray Beach Open champion in history. Correct. And they've had some really players there for 31 years. So it tells you the conditions there because of the wind. And it can be really tough day to night there. So it tells you how hard it is for anybody to win that as the favorite. So that's a really good sign that he could take that mantle and that pressure with a lot of young Americans who wanted to make their move there. And, you know, Michael Moe had a great run there, Mackie McDonald. So to do it there, to do it on his home soil is great. And now the pressure ratchets up for uh, Indian Wells and let, you know, let's hope he can, he can do it again, but he's really done everything everything right and you go back even to Wimbledon when he lost the heartbreaker to Rafa a lot of people thought that might break him a little bit emotionally but he's come back strong and uh you know it's good to see him playing well yeah five career titles for Fritz the thing I loved the most about his performance in Delray Beach is he came he showed up he was the top seed he was the heavy favorite type of title you should definitely win the type of times we the number of times we see a top seed go down in in an event like that is more often than not. And he just held held his serve, held sway, didn't drop a set until the final. And he even held a match point in that, a championship point rather, in that second set against Kecmanovic where he, I think he lost two first serve points in that match. He just came to win. He came with this, you know, an absolute form of belief and he, and he, and he got it done. Like it was never a doubt in his mind, I think, that he was going to win that title. It wasn't, as you said, it wasn't an easy match. He had a lot of scrappy guys, McDonald in the semis, Manorino in the corners is always tricky. Um, Kishmanovic, of course, gave it gave it a full tilt and saved that championship point, but had nothing left to, against Fritz, who's a very clutch player these days, and just handled that third set so well and took that title. I was very impressed, and I think well-deserved for him to be in the top five. And yeah, the pressure starts. I'm going to be so curious to see what he can do at Indian Wells, defending the title and also sort of n- knowing he needs some of those points to keep that ranking in the top five, which you know will be a big goal of his. So it'll be a big test for Fritz. Moving forward, the last thing I want to get to, Richard, because I think we're up on 26 minutes right now, is another week prior, the player that beat Taylor Fritz and won the title in Dallas 
Wui Bing. This guy is incredible. We haven't had a chance to talk to each other about him. I wanted to just get your take on his performance at Dallas, his game overall, and what you think maybe his upside is and maybe the upside for Chinese tennis, men's tennis as well. I was just blown away by what I saw. And, uh, you know, I, I go back years and years. I remember sitting in Lee Na press conferences where people were like, well, Chinese women are so good. How come there's no China? And you get that question every single time. Well, I think this guy is the answer. I mean, he's a legitimate player, this guy. And also the final, what, Isner had, what, 44 or 45 aces? I mean, he withstood all those aces. And the guy never once looked like that he was bummed out or demoralized. Or, yes. He just looked like, bring it. He looked, bring it. Keep bringing it because I'm here and I'm just going to keep bringing it back. His movement was really, really impressive, especially for a guy who's had like an assortment of injuries. I felt he hit the ball so well on the run. Some of those running forehands that he wrapped around the post. Amazing. Down the line. And also his serve was bigger than I thought because when you look at him, I mean, anybody standing next to Isner looks like a little bit, but he doesn't look that big, but he had some good pop on the serve. And under pressure, he was holding time and time again. Uh, I was I was really impressed by his game and what I saw. I think he's got a big upside. Yeah, a lot of people were calling the top 20 by end of season. Certainly a possibility. This, I, it's hard to say. We've got to you know, see him play more matches and you know, get, him, get, get involved with top players a little bit more, play on more surfaces. But he certainly, certainly was impressive. What a fun watch. What a fun personality. And, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the way that he dealt with Isner's ace clinic, I mean, he was threatening the all-time record for aces in a best-of-three match in that match, but he never really hung his head. He never got frustrated. He just stayed on point, and when he got his chances, he took them. I mean, it's just it's a great performance, really magical, and, and to, to have the charisma, the personality, and to see, you know, you're, after all those years of the Chinese men basically being nowhere, to finally see them pushing a little bit, it, it makes it interesting. And the charisma point to show you what a personable guy he is. Just think about that. He's playing is for a guy who actually makes his home there. And that's what he's playing basically a hometown, popular American guy in a final on a record-setting ace pace. And by the end of that match, he won a lot of fans over because people are like, this guy's the real deal. And he really, really fights. He gives you exactly what you want to see as a fan. I mean, he just goes out and lays it all out there and – uh his body impressed me, too. His shot selection, he wasn't just banging the ball. There's nuance to his game, some subtlety, but he was able to stand in there against, you know, the Goliath and just and just take it all in his smile at the end. It was great to see because this guy's endured so much where, uh, you know, you could almost understand if he walked away or just took, took a longer break. I mean, he's just a punishing injuries time after time but he 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 just never gave up so the resilience was rewarded we saw that in delray beach also yeah still just um 23 years of age now ranked 61 the highest ranked chinese man in history and just just the fact that he beat john isner i think he's got 21 atp level matches under his belt to face a guy like isner like an absolute ace machine on a fast surface indoors Really a difficult course, yeah. difficult test for a young, inexperienced yeah. server who's probably never faced anything like that before, just on a te- on a tennis and technical level trying to get a hand on returns, but also dealing with a two-, three-hour match where you're just getting no play off the guy's serve to, to be able to weather those storms and take your chances when you have them to, to, to be able to consistently be effective 
in rallies when you have no rhythm in a match showed a lot of maturity to me personally. That's why I think he has the stuff to be a good player. Like I said, 21 matches, ATP level under his belt. We don't know a lot about Wu on different surfaces against different opponents, different matchups, etc. But, I mean, definitely, definitely now that he's number 61 in the world, he'll be in a lot more main draws. Definitely a player to keep your eyes on and to watch this season. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And also that, you know, his serve, when you're facing him indoors like that, the pressure on your serve is magnified like 100 times because you know if you drop it, even a double fall, if you get the 30 all on your serve, you know Isner can just swing out on a forehand return. So the pressure for you to hold is just so immense because you know you're not breaking him. And then in the tie break, Isner is a phenomenal tie break player that he was able to withstand all the ups and downs in the tie break. It was, yeah, it was, this guy was really impressive. And I know people say, well, look at Korotsev a few years ago, we had a great run and then he's kind of did, but I think this guy is different. I mean, I think he just has more variety, the movement, and he's not a one note player. It's not just that he relies on one big shot. He can do a little bit of everything and he's got some infectious enthusiasm when you watch him. It's just he's a fun guy to watch. Yeah. And last just thing- great personality. The way he plays is variety. So I you yeah. know I, I hope he keeps the interesting thing I was thinking about watching and when I was watching tennis just in February, because we think of February sometimes as a dead month in tennis between the AO and Indian Wells, but we've seen breakout like Alicia Parks showed me so much winning the title with Sam Sonova, you know, this mm-hmm. guy. Woo, I mean seen some people really break out in February with strong runs where you're like, wow, these players, are, they can really do damage this whole year. Yeah. And he's one of them, I would say. Absolutely. And, and the last thing I'll say about Wu is, one, he came back from a set down. The score of that match was 6-7-4, 7 in two hours and 58 minutes. That's his final in Dallas against Isner. Saved four championship points. I mean, so a comeback from a set down against Isner, to win two consecutive breakers against Isner, to save four championship points. I mean, everything about that match is just like, well, it's one of the matches of the year, whether you you don't you like serve bots or not. This is one of the matches of the year, I think, when we look back on it in December, which I'm sure we'll do. So a uh, good chance, a uh, good chat, Richard. I think we can wrap it up there. We'll, we'll, we'll try and come back soon and then um, talk a little bit more about Carlos Alcaraz, who's in action this week, and of course, Iga Sviatek as she goes to continue her winning streak. Dropped just two games today against Leila Fernandez. Wow. Yeah, you're, you're right. Well said. February's been a pretty special month, and um, definitely good for tennis fans to keep their eyes on uh, not just the big names, but also rising stars, and we're seeing that, and hopefully we'll probably continue to see that over the uh, next couple of weeks. So, Richard, awesome chat. I appreciate you making time, and um, everybody check out Richard Bagliaro's work on www.tennisnow.com and by the way we got some new scores on the website so if you want to keep track of the tours all day long go to uh you go to let's see where do you go you go to tennisnow.com slash live dash tennis dash scores or just go to tennisnow.com you'll see a tab for scores we're partnering with um who are we partnering with tennislive.com a great live score site i think you guys will like it as if you uh give it give it a look and navigate around the scores you get everything on our live scores now from break points uh, and to 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 point by point recap so you can see all the break points and match points and matches you can see every match every tournament even down at the challenger level it's pretty it's pretty remarkable you can you can keep that tab open all day and never miss a beat on the atp and wta tours 
Yeah, hands down, it's the best live scoring we've ever had on Tennis Now. We're so grateful that they designed it for us. And also that you can customize it if you just want to focus on the WTA or the ATP or just challengers. Or if you want to see everything in one shot, you can do it. And like I said, you can break it down each individual game. And we've never had that where you can go to the detail of each game to see the score of each game. They have very great jobs. Really, really excited you can get your draws there as well, and there's a link to the actual score site, tnnslive.com. Um, um, so you guys should check that out as well when you head over to tennisnow.com. And I think we'll wrap it there, Richard. Thanks so much for your time. Let's talk again soon. Okay, Chris. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining and giving us his insights on the tours. And special thanks to all of you for listening. You guys know where to find us on the web at www.tennisnow.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash tennisnow. Also on Twitter at tennis underscore now. We really appreciate it. If you check out this podcast, rate, review, subscribe. It does mean a lot to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just type in Lucky Let Court Podcast and voila. You can find us anywhere you find your podcast, and we really appreciate it if you do. Thank you so much for listening, you guys, and we'll talk to you next time.